G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman. Welcome to the program today, Hunty. Welcome. Thanks, mate. It's good to be here. Yeah, we had a week off last week. Yeah, we did. I was up in Brisbane with my dad and my mum visiting. Yep. And it's just too hard technically to do it from up there and get down here, so we're really glad to be back. We are. And wherever you are around Australia, we want to give you a great big warm welcome. The sun is out in Sydney. We've had three, four days of constant sunshine. I think that must be a record for this year, Andrew Hunt. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, very happy. In fact, yesterday was the first day or the day before, or this weekend, was the first time since the floods in August where I was able to get my tractor out once I got the thing started. I don't know whether the battery went flat or oh. something wrong with the starter motor, but I tried oh, to start no. it, Hunty, yep. and it clicked. So oh. I let it go for for a few minutes and started again it started so I don't know what that so was so that's your big red tractor my big red, oh, big red tractor no but I got it going good and uh, you know I'm, I'm mowing the uh, I'm slashing the grass out there which is way high there's snakes and rats and stuff <laughs> running for the hills um, but it's the first time that it's been dry enough out there yep for me to finally, finally get out and do some work. Well, I and remember the last time I was out there, I took my four-wheel drive along the grass just to look for some debris on the property, and I bogged it about ten times. <laughs> Did you leave marks on my farm? Oh, have you found any marks on your farm? No, not yet. Oh, then definitely no. <laughs> no marks. <laughs> he loves going onto my farm and leaving dirty big tyre marks all over the place. I had to use the weeds about 13 times to get off. <laughs> it still looks like a, a cyclone, a, a storm, a bomb, a nuclear bomb's hit out there. It's, yes. It is very, very sad. Indeed. And, and I'm not overly happy about it, but what can you do? That's it. Um, my farm's looking good, really good. So I'm very happy about that. Um Big day, 8th of November in history. Oh, do tell. It's the 312th day of the year. Mm-hmm. Boy, time's going, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In 1614, there's a couple of things I never knew, and I'm into history today and this day in history. Uh, in 1614, Japanese samurai Dom Justo Takayama was exiled to the Philippines by Shogun Togawa Ayasu for being a Christian. Oh, wow. Christianity never really got a go in Japan early on. And even today, I've been to Japan, I've been there preaching, I've been there teaching. Christianity only has what I'd call an infant toehold in that country. It's never, ever exploded like it has in the other Asian countries around. And, yeah, I just found that interesting that here in 1614 there's a samurai who was a Christian and somewhere, somehow, he found Christ but was exiled to the Philippines. In fact, if you look at Japanese history, he was lucky not to lose his life, really. Um, yep. And then we have in 1620 the Battle of White Mountain on this day, in 1620. Never heard of this battle either. But it's a huge, it's a huge battle between Czech Protestants and um, Roman armies from Italy and Spain. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a battle the Protestants won for sure. No, they didn't. They got defeated, they got defeated roundly, and it was actually the end pretty much of the Protestant Reformation in Czechoslovakia, Mm. which I I thought was really sad. And Mm. it was a resounding defeat for the Protestant forces in 1620. And this one, I never knew this either, 1901, the Gospel Riots. Ever heard of them? Nope. They happened in Greece, and you know why they happened? No. Because the Bible, this is 1901, not so long ago, Mm -hmm. was translated into modern Greek. 
And there was a lot of people taking great exception over the fact that the Bible was not in the Latin, the original Latin, not that that was the original language. The original language is the Bible, actually, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. But in 1901, um, people took such exception, Christians, to the Bible being translated into the modern Greek so people in Greece could understand Scripture that there was riots and eight people were killed. Can you believe that? Mm. 1932, Franklin D. Roosevelt, heard of him? Yep. You know what he, who he was, what he did? No. Well, other than he's a US president. Do you know when? No. He, he's probably the most, one of the most, if not the most influential American president in the last hundred years. He actually, you know how American presidents normally can only serve two terms? He went into a third one. Right. He was their World War II president. Ah, oh, okay, that's becoming a picture term. Yeah, and, yeah. and he, died, he died actually just as World War II was ending. Um... Good president, bad president. I don't know enough about American history, but a little bit I do know. He seems to be a pretty good guy. Hmm. Um, in 1939, there's an attempt, attempted assassination on Adolf Hitler. Some would say, well, that's unfortunate it didn't come off. Hmm. But um, it was done by a guy called George Elzer. He was a German. It was done in Munich, and, and it was done at, when Hitler would give his annual speech to the German people and thousands and th- thousands of people had, had turned up and this guy had planted a bomb. Uh, I was going to say unfortunately, but and it probably is unfortunate, Hitler left early. The bomb still went off, killed 16 people, injured more than 60, but missed Adolf Hitler. And I had a look at the history of Adolf Hitler. There were a number of times where people tried to knock him off and he just miraculously escaped um, Assassination attempt after assassination attempt after assassination attempt. Went on to kill 6 million Jews in World War II and over 50 million civilians and soldiers. Just probably one of the most barbaric men in the history of the world. Yep. 1960, John F. Kennedy was elected president. Remember him? Yeah. He was actually the first Roman Catholic president in the United States of America. And he was assassinated in Dallas. Is that right? Houston? Texas, somewhere. Houston, Texas, I thought. Was it Houston, Dallas? We'll come back to you on that one. Magic bullet. What's that mean? Well, they claim that one bullet entered at the top of his body, ricocheted around in his body, changed its angle four or five times, and made all these different wounds. But it was just uh, one uh, one bullet uh, from uh, one gunshot. uh, Are you getting into conspiracy theories here? That's the official story the US will tell you. So you're into conspiracy theory on this? Uh, I just don't believe that one bullet bounces around inside a human being. I got no view on this whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that somewhere, somehow, he died. He did. He was on shot. The 22nd yeah. of November. Just yep. as I was born, as I was being born, John F. Kennedy was leaving. Uh, and then the last one here, 2016. You know what happened on this day in 2016? What happened? Donald Trump was elected president. Oh, oh, today. oh dear. <laughs> it is. It's his anniversary. Oh, dear. And if you watch American history, I think uh, he may be looking forward to another run. He gave a hint in his speech yesterday. May, we've been told over and over not to be political on this program. That's right. But may the Lord God bless America. Mm. That's all I can say about that. Mm. Um, so wherever you are, we're glad to have you on this day. It's a beautiful day in Sydney. And to open our program, a program where we want you to be able to see Jesus in all his beauty, I'm going to ask Hunty to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come humbly before you this afternoon asking for your blessings, not just for us, but Lord, for all of the beautiful people who are listening to this program. Please place your loving arms around them and bless them with their every need, Lord. Please grant them peace.
And uh, Lord, I hope you'll enable their journey towards you as we lift you high this afternoon. In your precious name, Jesus, I ask. Amen. Sometime. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor. Sorry, sorry, sorry Hunter. Sorry, mate. He keeps turning it up. <laughs> Sorry. <Ooh. laughs> I was doing that on purpose to oh, you. Yeah, I, m- I mucked up to start off with and I thought oh, I, was m- I might as well just go over and stop. And he's furiously telling me to s- stop. And I knew what was happening, but I just enjoyed it. Oh, we have one week off and all of a sudden we get not coordinated together anymore. <laughs> no, you were right. Strike one to me. <laughs> this live radio. So let's see how we go today. I'm leading the pack on mistakes. We'll see how we... We'll keep adding it up, eh, Hunty, by hey, the end of the program. You know what? I've got a new email address for everyone today. Ah, that's important. And actually, so, actually, if 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 yes. you if you want to now, we have definitely got questions for the Aussie pastor today. Maybe um, because we're away for two weeks. Yeah, but there's a bunch. In, that's a bunch coming here. Yeah. But is it too late to get them in? No, and we'd love to hear from now you. Now you have a brand new email. That's because Info Aussie pastor isn't working real well at the moment. Will we ever come back to that? Yeah. Who knows. Probably not. <laughs> okay, far Okay, away. so um, I think we might even be doing a giveaway today. Is that we possible? Are. We are. Okay, well, this is In cool. In fact, I'll give the... Do you want me to give... Do you want me to give the answer to the... the, the, the do question. you want me to give the question for the giveaway now? Well... Or would we mix you know, it up? We, you know we haven't talked about it, which means I don't know if it's first in best dressed or... When you're, when, when, no, dressed. when you're ready, I'll let you know. All right. So listen, if you'd like to send us your questions for Ask the Aussie Pastor, we'd love to have them. And you can text them to us on 0488-880-851 or the new email address, theaussiepastor at gmail.com. Now, I'm going to get you to do that again because it is new. It is new. But shall I give the question for the giveaway? Yes. You, know, you know, You know what the prize is first? It's, it's a book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's hardcover yes. by Renko Stevanovich. Awesome book. Sure, I'm said said that wrong. It is. I'm telling you, the best book on Revelation I know. And Faith FM's not paying for this, Hunty. No, we are. That's it. Why? Because it's a special gift. You know, I got in it, trouble two weeks ago. Did you? I had listeners texting and say, "Hey." I was looking forward to that giveaway. How dare you pull it off at the last second? Well, we had to pull it off because Hunty was misbehaving. No, I pulled it off because I thought Infosy Pasta was broken and I was right. Ah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> why. So, here's the question. You ready? Okay. And it is first in, first go. Okay. I'm going to warn you. Be very careful with this question. Yes. Because what... Yes. Sorry, let me just jump in here before I warn you that the SMS comes in faster than the email. Just letting you know. So if this is a race, the first person to land, the I, SMS comes I, I, in instantly. I think people are going to have trouble answering this. Oh, are they? Mm. All right, well. What does the Bible say was Jesus' own town? His hometown. Hmm. Be careful on that one. Okay. What so. does the Bible say? And it is uh, the answer to this question is unexpected. And it's that unexpected that I only discovered this a few weeks ago. Right. So if you'd asked me this question two or three weeks ago, I would have got it wrong. But here it is again. What does the Bible say was Jesus' own, O-W-N, own town, or, this is my words, hometown, in his ministry, hunty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In his ministry. Where was home? Where was home base? So if you, you look at my life, home base is where? Oh, no. Now or Queensland? Come on. Home base, Sydney. Today? Yeah. Yeah, Rivo. Yeah, my that's my home. I don't. I haven't <laughs> been to Nara for 50, 50 years, bro, and that's I haven't true. been to Queensland for over thirty. I mean, I go back there, but that's not my my hometown or my own town is Riverston, Sydney. Hmm. 
So what, in Jesus' ministry, what was his own town or his hometown? All right, so it's 488 or you can email us, at gmail.com. First in best rest. I might give some hints during the program if, if the answer doesn't come in. If it does, I'll let you know, and I'll let you know what the answer is with the Bible text before the end of the program. Okay. First song, Hunty. It's a beautiful song. I need to be still, BJ Thomas. Yep. Sometimes we do need to just sit back and be still. Listen for the voice of God. He'll come to you. I need to be still and let God love me. I need to be still and let God love me When this old world starts to push and shove me I need to be still and let God love me I need to relax and let God take over I need to relax let God take over He'll take this load Off of my shoulders I need to relax And let God take over When there's trouble all around me And my soul cries out for rest When I feel that I'm failing Even though I've done my best when decisions get so heavy And there are answers that I need I know it's time to just be still And let God love me I need to be still And let God love me I need to be still And let God love me when this whole world starts to push and shove me I need to be still and let God love me I need to be still and let God love me I need to be still and let God love me need to be still and let God love me. Sometimes you do need to be still, hunty. I know that. Yep. Uh, very important. Hey, we've got some answers coming in, Hunty. Yeah, we do. Just so you know, yes. they're all wrong. Yes. Let me tell you, if your answer's Nazareth, that's wrong. Don't bother with that one. No, that is not. Remember, the question is, what was Jesus' hometown, or as the Bible calls it, his own town, during his ministry? That last bit I shared, during his ministry, is a big clue. I know that Hunty actually doesn't know the answer. I don't want you guessing. I'm looking at one of our listeners' answers. Look at the top of the screen. Is that right? Uh, uh, that listener looks like your Jax. <laughs> it is right, and you're not going to say it because I'm not giving her a prize. <laughs> she's, she, 
Well, my wife knows the answer, listeners. How, how did she do that? Well, she's sharp. She's in. She's out and about today, I think, too. I can't believe she got that. Oh, here we go. Here's another one. Yeah, Guess Nazareth. No, it's not Nazareth, Sorry, folks. Mark, not Nazareth. No, it's not <laughs> Na- Nazareth. Uh, Vernon, it's Sorry, not... Sorry, Vernon, a, no. Yeah, Nazareth. Mm-hmm. So we're getting some answers in. And this this prize... Hunty, on this program, yes. on this show, we're always going to give good prizes. Of course. Uh, and this is a beauty. Again, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a big, fat book. And it is a beautiful it book, is a beauty. which takes you verse by verse through Revelation in easy to understand language. And it just blew Revelation up for me, Hunty. I loved it. Mm. Gave me a host of sermons, gave me a Revelation series. By the way, a Revelation series we never finished because we got into trouble. Oh. But yeah, well, we never finished that. We got into trouble oh, with you COVID. lost our studio. Yeah, and COVID, and then we lost our studio. Yeah, so right. I have to think about whether we're going to start that all over or again. Finish it or here. finish it here. new studio. I think we might start it again. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon we started again. I reckon so. Yep. Um, it, it's something you can go over and over. But we, we've had two goes and got hauled up both times by COVID and or floods. We got within, I think we got to Revelation I reckon we 22 we or 24. one or two <laughs> chapters at the end the first time. No, 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 the second time. We got, we got further the second time. Oh, we got further time. the first time. Anyway, well. Doesn't it, matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> one of us is right, one of us is wrong there. Hey, some news, hunting. News time. This one, I know all about it. Staggering costs of owning a car. The costs of owning a car have increased just in the last few months, Hunty, by over, listen to this, mm. $100 per month. And don't I know it. Me too. Can I tell you this yes, yesterday? I want to complain. Yes. I filled up 20 litres of diesel for my tractor for the farm. Yep. Guess how much it cost? 50 bucks. More. More. Over $60. Oh, That's for, now, you know how those 20-litre cans take a bit more than 20 litres? Yeah, 21. But yeah. I, I, well, I reckon mine takes a bit more even, yeah. maybe. But I was horrified yep. for a 20-litre drum. drum of fuel. Yep. Constantly with a four-wheel drive, I'm paying up to 120. How much are you paying for your fuel? Uh, yeah, I got three. I got $2.33 the other day. How much? $2.33 So what that cost to fill your car? Oh, my, liter, my tank's 90 litres. That's almost 200 bucks. I know, right? <laughs> It's ridiculous. Mind you, your car could go a thousand k's. It does a thousand k's in the tank, yeah. Yeah, and that's even around town, so it's pretty amazing. It is. But it's not just fuel. Yep. It's tyres. It's rego. Tolls in this state. Oh, the tolls in Sydney are ridiculous. Are shameful. It's 50 50 bucks to go to the airport and back from here. Yeah, look, I rat run. You know what that means? Me too. I avoid the tolls like the plague. Every now and again, I'll take the tolls. I went to do something for you the other... No, I rat ran the other day when I went out the beach to shoot that thing for you. Um, You know, I went to the Sydney Town Hall for that beautiful hymn concert. Yeah, and I, de- and I decided I wasn't going to use any freeway, so Gladesville Bridge there in the back, uh, underneath, back around. Got there and I celebrated that I didn't pay for parking or any tolls, but guess what? When I'm on the freeway, <laughs> it's just a nut. I can't even well, that's, anymore. That's, that's why you should have come with me on the train. I did encourage you to come on the train, did I not? I said, come on the train, hunty. Oh, come I did, on the I did train. Offer, I offered you a ride home. <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't because I had all the... What happens is once a year at our church, all the singers... Uh, and the music team and the tech team. Well, is it the tech yeah. team? Yeah. yeah, some of the tech team. Yeah. Oh, the leaders of the tech team. Yeah. Right? yeah, get invited to go with us to prom praise, kind of a little reward, uh, which is a show put in on at the where is it? Sydney, Sydney Town, Town Hall, Town Hall mm. by the Anglicans. It's a beautiful hymn sing. Mm. But I tell you what, we had hymn sing on Saturday night at New Hope. It went off. Wow, people are still talking about it. You know what? Well, I, I say this. I guess I'm biased because it's New Hope. Yeah, me too. Our beloved church that Christ founded with us. Uh, that's the best musical program I think I've ever been to in an Adventist church. Wow. 
That's a big call. You had well, you had you had a forty voice plus choir. I had forty mics on stage. That's right, and mm. at least half of them would have been men or more. And we have a lot of women singers in our church, not a lot of men. And so it was spectacular. In our church, the church was full. The singing, everyone was singing. And it was just beautiful, wasn't it? Mm. Anyway, what were we up to, mate? Hey, oh, let me, let me the butt car, in. Let the me, car. The oh, car. Well, I want to butt in about the car. Yeah, what, what did you want to say? Oh, we've, we've got a winner, I think. You have? We have. And she's a perennial no, winner. No, no, not that lady, the one before. Ah, yeah. She was beaten by three seconds. Okay, the winner is? Vernon. Aguilis. 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 Anyway, Vernon, we'll contact you. The Congratulations. Answer, the answer is Jesus' hometown was? A Capernaum. Capernaum. Mm. And if you don't believe it, hold on, because I'm going to give you a scripture for it eh, in a little bit. Well, remember when we were there a couple of years ago? Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Yep. There you go. Do you remember when we were there a couple of years ago? I do. All over the town there's big banners letting you know that this is Jesus' hometown. It was his hometown, but mm. you know what? Uh... He was never, ever accepted or honoured in Capernaum. He spent more time in Capernaum in ministry than any other town. Yet they never, ever truly accepted Jesus Christ. Just goes to show a prophet is without honour in his hometown. You know what, Hunty? That works for pastors too. That's right. You're never really, and I'm a pastor for 32 years, maybe it's a good thing. You never made a big deal of in your hometown, are you? That's right. My hometown of Brisbane. In Australia it's even worse because we've got the... The whole tall poppy syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon, I'm, 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 don't you name my home church, Hunty, but I reckon if I went back there, they'd hardly know I exist. <laughs> That's is, this the, a, is this the church you were, the senior pastor for a quarter of its life? No, no, not no. Not that one. Oh, no. Wurunga, no. Wurunga, that's Wurunga. No, no, no they, they well and truly know. That's not my home church, bro. I, I come from Queensland. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A beautiful church, too. And I'm not... Don't worry about that. I think sometimes it's a good... In fact, I like being in a local church because local churches do keep your head on the ground, don't they? They keep you humble. They do. Yeah. So back to cars, sorry. But Jesus, Jesus was never, ever accepted in his hometown. Hey, we're wandering all over the place. Yeah. So the winner, the winner is who The winner is, let me just scoot that back up, to Vernon Aguilis. And was it Betty Rudd? She came in second. You are only... Three, four, ten seconds off winning that girl. She was three seconds off winning it. Three seconds. <laughs> oh, that could be the internet, man. That well, could be the internet. That, that, uh, that could be yeah, Optus Telstra. That could be the difference between a good supplier. Well done, well done. I think we're going to do. That. So uh, um, the winner who is Vernon, you better email us again. No, no, I already messaged him. I said I'll call him after the program. Oh, okay. Hunty, yeah. Hunty will arrange to get that to you yep. through our friendly ABC bookshop. That's right. Hey, um, let's go back to the car. Back what, to the cars. Yeah, yeah, so what I'm saying is I'm complaining, but, and the newspapers complain, everyone's complaining about how expensive cars are. They're saying that big four-wheel drivers are costing up to $1,000 a month more to mm. run. Well, I've got a four-wheel drive. It's not costing that much. No, because you're, you're a second-hand, you're not paying it off. No, well, I am, actually. Oh. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> oh. I wish I wasn't paying it off. <laughs> well, you're not paying off a seven dollars $80,000 car. No, no. No. Uh, no, I've never had a seven dollars or $80,000 car. Not likely to have one either, unless it's second-hand 10 years yes, down the track. Mine's worth that, but I, I got, it is 10, anything, got it 10 years old nearly. Mr. Car Guru, is there anything we can do to yes. cut the prices yes. that the, the car costs down? A Yaris 
is running at a fraction of the cost of a four-wheel drive. Who wants to drive a Yaris? My wife's got one. Oh, come on. Um, but here's the thing. If you've got solar I, on the roof I, I, of your house... I don't house, like the, the cars either you or your wife drive, <laughs> but particularly your wife. Love you, Jax. <laughs> but this is the second car, or is it the third one she's had I didn't like? You don't like a little Corolla thing, a little Yaris Corolla? No, I don't. No. No, they're one of the most dangerous cars on the road. Oh, I should love to hear that. She's listening to us this afternoon. They're not real good at passenger protection. Do you know she doesn't like your little Mazda 323 either? Well, yeah, that's not going <laughs> to That little car is not going to be in the family for too much longer. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's been faithful, 300,000 cars. Hey, what can you do? Let's get into this. Okay, what can you do? Well, look, if you can charge your electric car off your solar panels on the roof but of your house... The trouble is that falls that. down too because electric cars cost so much to buy. That's right. But, however, in fact, if, you buy wonder, the, if you buy the MG, electric MG, it's a fraction of the cost of the Tesla and it gets the exact same specs. Well, as in distance it's on a charge. It's a Chinese car, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I didn't know that. Is a good good electric are electric cars electric cars or some better than others? Oh, the Tesla's definitely the Rolls Royce, but the the MJ well, is the supposed Tesla's to be starts at sixty k, sixty seven, sixty seven k. That's the that's the poverty pack in the Tesla. Oh dear, mm. and you have got to wait for them too. That's right. So other than having an electric car, there's not much you can do. The um, Toyota Rav Four that's hybrid is very cheap to run as well. When you say it's hybrid... That means when you're going up a hill, it uses petrol. When you're going down no, a hill, like it's it. generating electricity. I want I want a hybrid, if there's such a thing, that runs on electricity till the electricity runs out, then I can change to petrol. That's the RAV4. Yeah, but you said it interplays with the electric and the petrol motor while you're driving. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so it's not the RAV4. That's true. The, no, the, um, the new Lexus... The, uh, oh, dear. We're talking expensive. Look, the bottom line is, <laughs> there's nothing you can do, is there? Maybe drive less Ks. Yeah, you have to either drive a tiny little poverty pack four-cylinder car or drive less Ks. Or if you've got too many cars, start getting rid of them. That's right. And there's a good second-hand market. What about this unknown road rule? Did you know that, Hunty? There I is do. a fine... I do know the road rules. ...for not locking your car. Yeah, when they first brought that in, I was outraged. I thought you might be still. Harry, I am still am. It's ridiculous. We're the most over-regulated bunch of citizens in the, in the world, I think. How stupid. On a hot day, you can't leave your windows down. Not even three inches. You can leave them down, I think. Two centimetres. 25, 50 mil. Two centimetres, 20 mil. Do you know how f- close you've got to be to the car? Three metres. <laughs> if you're more than three metres away. Yeah, they can they, find you. They're going to find you. Yeah. Um... You ridiculous. Know, you leave your dog in the car, you want to leave the window down, when you nick into the store to get something, you come back, you're fined. You notice in the ne- in the same article they're saying that here in New South Wales they put the signs back on the cars on the side of the road that are fining you, wh- what do they call those cars? Yeah, the speed cameras. The speed cameras on the car, they're not police, mm. on the side of the road. I've never been gotten by one of them yet, have you? No, but I've come so close. Yeah, I've had a number of nervous waits on the mailbox waiting to see if I got in the way with it or not. You see them, you slam the brakes on to be sure you're under the speed limit, and then you hope. I, I enjoy watching those times of hunting stress. <laughs> <laughs> no one deserves to be fined more than Andrew Hunt. <laughs> um, you notice, though, that they've put the sign back on top of the car, but they haven't put them down the road like they used That's to. Right. But I think they've, they've gone backwards. The New South Wales government, they've lost 100,000 fines per year by doing that. So people are still picking up the sign on top of the car. Bottom line is, you know what I reckon, Hunty? This is from me, Queensland mm-hmm. hot rodder. Just don't speed. That's right. 
It is as simple and as brutal as that on our roads. Don't speed. But here's the thing. If, you, if you're driving in an unfamiliar territory and there's speed yeah. changes yep. and there's kids crossing and there's lights and there's signs and you listen to your GPS and it goes from 60 to 50, it might take you a few seconds to get man used to that whilst you're looking out to be safe going through yeah, an intersection. Yeah. But nope, the I camera will you. get you in a millisecond. I hear you. And so what you have to do is you have to look at your speedo and not the surrounds, which actually, in my opinion possibly make sure you're driving more dangerous. When we're in Warburton, from Warburton to Lilydale, I think there's 3,000 changes of... of yeah, uh, I would agree with that. 3,000, maybe four. I was, actually, I was actually so concerned while we were driving down in Victoria, I put a, a, a GPS on my wife's phone, yep. stuck it on her side of the car, said, you look at the GPS at my speed, and all the signs we're going through, and you make sure I'm not speeding, and I'll read the GPS and try and keep the car on the road. Seriously, between Warburton and Lilydale, I don't think I've ever been so many... 50, 100, I don't know how many speed signs. There's a lot. They're uncountable. Uncountable. Uh, and this last one, this last news story, very. Uh, I've been worried about this for a while. I want to talk about one more stupid road rule. Oh, road go on, two go more. On, yeah, okay. You can't toot your who's horn. The ha- who's the handbrake today? Yeah, it's me. You can't toot your horn in New South Wales if someone's sitting at a green light in front of you. I do it all the time. You can't wave they your hand about, out the window and give someone a thank they, you wave. They get about a tenth of a second. Yeah, I don't give them that much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, are you telling me that if you thank you wave someone, there's a fine? If you put your hand even a a millimetre out the window, No one thank you waves more than you. I know. Oh, I'd love to see you get fined. (laughs) (laughs) You and your thank you waves. We've, I make fun of that, don't I? He's all the time. He's thanking everybody. I'm, ver- I'm a very grateful driver. You've just got to look at Hunty and he'll give you a... a Thank you, Abe. He's got a soft and beautiful... Road workers, heart. tolls, ferries, anyone on the side of the road, I'm waving. Are you waving at those uh, speed camera guys? Yeah, but I can't tell you what my hand looks like. He's getting a beautiful <laughs> wave. Good on you, Hunty. Um is America headed for... Oh, did you have anything else? No, the handbrake's released. Is America <laughs> headed for civil war? Look, it is an election tomorrow yep. in America. Yep. Wednesday, our time, Tuesday, this, because it's Monday in the US, Monday afternoon now, going into Monday evening. Mm. On Tuesday, American time, they have this election. I have never seen America so divided between Democrats and Republicans, between the right wing and the left wing, and there are no bridges. But there's also a growing hatred for just government in America as well. doesn't matter which side. People are hating government. I mean, let me tell you about Amazon in New York. 4,000 employees, a large number of them are on food stamps because they're not earning enough money to think, even live. I think you've been here on this radio show. Yes, and I fun. just did some research on that today. Jeff Bezos is making $3,500 a second. I don't think in America it's that. No? No. I think it is a political divide. There is for certain. Between blue and red. Red are the Republicans, blue are the yep. Democrats. Yep. I think on one side they're quite left-leaning. Uh, the Republican, the, the right would call the left woke. And I suppose there are, there is a fair bit of woke stuff going on. I mean, I see it in Victoria here in Australia. There's no more woke government than the Victorian government. Um, but then you've got the Republicans or the right wing, and they're vicious. Mm. I mean, these are the guys who invaded the capital. Mm. These are the ones who keep running around saying that the election over there was a fraud. There's something very dangerous about that in a democracy. Yep. Because the moment you start... start Mistrusting the government. Well, not just the government, the electoral process. Mm. Your nation is in big, big trouble. Yep. And Americans don't trust the electoral process. And the problem over there, Hunter, is the electoral process is quite flawed. Now, I think... Don't get me wrong. I don't... 
I don't, um, for one minute, get into Trump's idea that the election was stolen. I think he lost that fair and square. But there's no trust in the electoral system over Well, those there. electoral colleges it's look to me to be rigged. No, they're not. They're not? No, they're not. The American system's not bad. But it is a mess. Right. See, the Australian, sec- the, the Australian electoral system, we have what's called the, the Federal Electoral Commission. And then you have state electoral commissions. And they are independent bodies that run the elections, set the borders, and guard democracy. They're neither right nor left. They're okay. neither this that's party or that party. But in America, that's not the case. The parties actually, usually the ones in power, run the electoral system, even setting the electoral boundaries. And so it leaves people feeling disempowered, suspicious, and it's a clear and present danger to the American system. And sometimes I wonder, Hunty, whether America is turning into a failed state. Mm. Those people over there from both sides hate each other so much. And you do wonder whether there is potential for a civil war there because the enmity is so deep. I've never seen anything like it, and I'm very grateful here in Australia, whether mm. you vote Labor or Liberal mm. or Greens or someone else, that we're still reasonably peaceful, and we generally trust the electoral system, don't we? We do. And I think the Americans could do well to have a look at the Australian electoral system and set, set up an independent electoral commission, because it takes away any of those, or a lot of the, the accusations that this is an unfair election, pretty much takes it away, because you've got supposedly neutral people running it. But I don't get into the conspiracies that this election or that election was stolen. I know they're saying in Brazil the same thing. I, I think it's bad form. And I think it, it just goes to show you that we're living in a dangerous world. When you see these things, Hunty, look mm. up. Because mm. you know what? Yep. Jesus is not far away. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song's called The Goodness of God from Don Moan. All right, here goes. Yes. Yeah. 
knows that better than Nabil, and I think I've said his name properly, Nabil, Nabil Nabil. Qureshi. Yep. Ever heard of him, Hunty? Not until today. Really? Mm. My wife first introduced me to Nabil. He was born on April 13, 1983. He was a Pakistani-American Christian apologist. Now, he has a very interesting life because he was he was raised by a devout Muslim family from the Ahmadi sect, and so he's a Muslim. He was born in America, mm-hmm. but his parents were immigrants from Pakistan. He became a Christian in his youth and became really a speaker and a pastor on the circuit over there in the United States of America. He was born in San Diego. 
His parents immigrated to the United States and his father served in the United States Navy. He became a lieutenant commander. I'm not sure what that means, Hunty. Maybe, is that a captain, lieutenant commander? Yeah, no, I don't know. It's right up there anyway. So his father was pretty high, was pretty high in the, the Navy, in the US Navy. And Quishy, Nabil, he describes his childhood in positive terms, stating that his parents modelled love for others and the love for their country, which was the United States mm-hmm. of America. In 2001, Nabil attended Old Dominion University in Virginia. Ever been there, Hunty? Virginia, yep. Yeah, me too. Yep. Is that is that where the headquarters of our church are? Mer- is that Virginia? No, uh, Maryland in Washington, D.C. That's not Virginia. It's no, not far away. Not far it? away, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he goes to this university and he served as the president of the Pre-Medical Honor Society. So he's studying to be a doctor. He also studied Islamic apologetics and he used to love engaging Christians in discussion. <laughs> so he's an Islam boy and he used to like to take the Christians on. Yep. I've actually never met uh, um, a Muslim like that. I've met quite a few Muslims. But yep. I've never had one like this guy was who wanted to engage Christians in debate. And he says that he often won. After one such discussion with a Christian at Old Dominion University, a mate of his called David Wood, and they became best friends, the two began a years-long debate on the historical claims of Christianity and Islam. So David, his friend, said, you need to challenge Islam and Christianity by the same set of standards. And according to Kweshi or Nabil, Wood encouraged him to research and to discover the truth for himself. So he didn't, th- this guy who was a born-again Christian didn't try to win him immediately to Christ, he said, you just need to go away and study. And, and so he did it. He recounts that he had been happy with his faith and with his Muslim community. He didn't want to leave it. But as he studied mm-hmm. the two great mm-hmm. religions, he was confronted by Jesus Christ. He has a conversion experience, and this Muslim boy becomes a Christian. And he describes his conversion, and I've, I've met a few people like this, as the most painful thing he ever did because he lost friendships and he lost relationships with his fellow Muslims. Mm-hmm. So it was a very painful thing. He got married to a girl named Michelle. The couple had one daughter. Her name was Aya, named after a Christian martyr. And he went on to become an evangelist. Now, Hunty, just for a few minutes, I'm going to talk more about him in a minute. Mm-hmm. I want you to listen to him himself. I want our listeners to listen to him, to Nabil himself, yep. as he describes his conversion from Islam to Christianity. It's very, very eye-opening. Well, when I was younger, my parents were very, very devout, and I was devout as a result of that. My parents taught me always to pray to Allah five times a day, at least, um, you know, the mandatory prayers and then beyond that whatever prayers I wanted to pray in my own free time pray that as well and prayer was a part of my life it was essential I'd wake up in the morning I'd say my morning prayers but that would be preceded with a prayer to be read as my eyes opened in the morning and then as I went to the bathroom there'd be prayers to be read when I washed my hands prayers to read before reading the Quran right after reading the Quran which I read mostly every day and then going to school in the morning after the morning prayers and then coming back reading the afternoon prayers you know, Islam was ingrained in my being and as such my parents were very very proud of me because I was the Muslim child that they were proud of raising I came from a line of missionaries and my my family treated Islam therefore as an integral part of their lives not something that ju- they just did on the side so Allah uh, the Prophet of Islam Muhammad we were all uh, very much reverent and very much uh, worshipping Allah all the time. It, it wasn't 
it wasn't another religion so much as it was a way of life. And it was something that we were, not just we followed. And so Islam was not something that I was apathetic towards or even indifferent towards. It was my very way and my very being. I was at a public speaking and debate tournament. It was my first year of college. I was 18 at the time. And a friend of mine who was on the team, his name is David. David and I were rooming together. And right before going to sleep that night, he pulled out a Bible. And I hadn't really seen anyone read the Bible on their own free time. I had heard it preached from. I had heard people refer to it but never actually seen anyone read it on their own free time. And I said to him, David, you do know that that Bible has been changed, right? You do know that it's been tampered with. It's not the same Bible that was revealed to Christ hundreds of years ago. And unbeknownst to me, David was actually an up-and-coming apologist. He had studied the Bible. He had studied about the Bible, studied about the canon, reasons for believing the Bible, reasons for believing in Christ as Lord. So he was ready for the question, far more ready than I had anticipated. He responded and said, you know, they really haven't been changed. We can test how much they have been changed. There's a science called textual criticism, which allows us to estimate approximately how much of a manuscript is variant from its original. And I looked into that and I began to realize, well, hey, the Bible hasn't actually been changed all that much. I began to realize, in fact, that no doctrine seems to have ever been changed, that from the beginning, the Bible stated that Christ is Lord, that he died for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day and it never said anything else. So it wasn't until a few years later that I began to realize that maybe I was wrong. It took quite a few years of debating this and researching it and studying it for me to realize this. We have hundreds, or not hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands of documents that show that the Bible is still close to the word that it was, that Christ did claim to be God. There's evidence for this, and for Islam, there's not too much evidence. It took me about three and a half years to come to that point, to realize that, hey, this stuff is true, that everything that I had been taught, I loved Allah, I loved Islam, I loved Muhammad, I loved my parents, I loved everything that I'd ever grown up with, but that didn't make it true. And I'm asking God, God, I can't find the truth by myself. You please show me the truth. Whatever I have to do, however much it hurts, whoever in my family will leave me or whoever of my friends will leave me, whatever it takes, I will walk that path. I look back at that, I had no idea what I was asking for. I was at the foot of a hotel bed and I had prayed, I had prayed and prayed to God, but this time I had prayed with the most humility that I had ever had. I broke down, I said, God, I don't know, I can't know my eternal life is on the line I ask you to tell me what the truth is provide me a vision provide me a dream anything and that night when I had prayed it my father was in the bed next to me and I was in my own bed this was in a hotel room he was already asleep there was a little bit of light in the room but as soon as I prayed that everything went dark and there was no more light in the room and there before my eyes was hundreds maybe even thousands of crosses I was looking at them and I was wide-eyed and just as soon as they had come they had gone and I knew what had just happened I had received a vision but I didn't want to believe it so I looked up to God and I said God that doesn't count <laughs> I said that can't count that could be my eyes playing tricks on me subconsciously I might want to believe in Christianity you know seeing a whole bunch of crosses that's not necessarily the truth you didn't come down and tell me anything that could that, you know that's probably a vision but maybe not so I said to God, you know what, God, forget I asked for a vision. How about you provide me a dream? Any dream, and if it confirms what I just saw in my vision, then I will become a Christian. 
And that night, I had a dream. It didn't take weeks, it didn't take months, it didn't take more than a few hours, if that. He gave me a dream that night. It was me standing at the threshold of a, a door, a narrow door. Not in the door yet, just outside it. My toes are, are at the line of the door. It's a narrow door, so it's about three feet wide, just wide enough to fit me. And probably about six to seven feet tall, just tall enough to fit me, and about the same depth in length. Just, uh, so it's a doorway, not just a door. At the other end of a door is David, my friend, sitting at a table. And it's a round table. And within that room are hundreds of people, all sitting at tables. And there's food laid out before them. And they're all getting ready to eat, but they haven't started eating yet. They're waiting, as if for a speaker, to come and start whatever it is, uh, a speech, a session, to shut the door and start speaking. But they haven't started eating yet. And I look at David and I said to him, I thought we were going to eat together. And without turning back, he says to me, you never responded. That's all the dream was. Me at a narrow door saying, I thought we were going to eat together. And him at a feast saying, you never responded. I woke up and I immediately knew what that dream meant. That room was heaven. That room was the kingdom of God. And I was standing right outside the door. I was not in yet because I had not responded. God gave me a dream that was so clear that I did not have to interpret it. But he was even more clearer than I had anticipated. A few hours later, I called David and I said, David, I had this dream. And he said to me, I don't even have to give you my opinion on it. That's right out of the Bible. And I said, what? And he said, go to Luke 13. And I went to Luke 13, verses 20 through 29, and you read it. And it's the people asking Christ. He said, will many people enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, many will try to enter, but few will be able. Make every attempt to enter through the narrow door. And people will be standing at that door knocking. And that's exactly what happened in my dream. I was at that door. The door had not been closed yet. But the opportunity to come in to that feast was still there. I just had to respond. At that point, I kind of knew what I had to do. I realized that Islam probably was not the truth. That God was really pulling me. Even though I didn't want to be pulled, I was kicking and screaming. He was pulling me towards the truth. I was at a point where I hurt tremendously. I was mourning. I literally was mourning. I was crying on my way to school um, one day. And I said, God, please give me a few days to mourn. I just need, I need to mourn. Um, you know, I have people that I'm losing, people who might die when they hear this. Uh, let me mourn. And, you know, I'd go back to my apartment and... I looked through the Quran and there was nothing to help me and I'd, I'd open up Matthew and I wouldn't even get through Matthew 5 and there God says, Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I'm, I'm reading Job and all the, all the anguish that's, that I have, God understands, God, God's alleviating through the Bible, through His Word, not through the Quran. There's nothing in the Quran that was helping me. The Quran was giving me glimpses into a past life but nothing that was helping me, nothing at all. And every time I would open the Bible, it would be there. I would pray to something for God and I'd say, oh, how do I know I'm going to get this? And then I'd, op I'd open up 1 John 5, verses 14 through 15, and it says, everything we ask for, He will give us because He hears us. Because we believe in, in our hearts that Christ is Lord. And I did believe in my heart that Christ was Lord, but I didn't confess it. And even there, within that book, 1 John, He says, how do we know if our hearts condemn us? And He says, if we confess with our hearts and our tongues that Christ is Lord, then our hearts will not condemn us. I hadn't done that yet. I hadn't confessed yet. I didn't know yet. Romans 10 says the same thing. It says, you know, if you believe with your heart that Christ is Lord and that He was raised on the third day from the dead, then you will be saved. And I hadn't done that yet. 
And then it hit me when I was reading Matthew, and it said, No one who denies me before men will I accept in the kingdom of heaven. So everyone who denies me, I will deny before my Father. And everyone who proclaims me before the men in this world, I will proclaim before my Father in heaven. And it was at that point that I couldn't deny Christ any longer. I couldn't deny God any longer. I couldn't hold my life, my values that I had chosen to believe, that I had no reason to believe except that I had always been born with them and lived with them. I began to realize that that was not the truth and I had to accept Christ into my life. I asked the Holy Spirit to change me. And after praying that prayer, the whole world looked different. I looked out at the world, I kid you not, I was, when I prayed that, I was shocked, as if electrified. I had said words that to me were just words, but it was a request to God that He fulfilled. And at that moment when the Holy Spirit filled me, I was stuck in that position for 10 minutes, as if I had been electrocuted. I was stuck, I was like this. For 10 minutes, not able to move. And when I finally moved, I looked at the world around me and it was absolutely beautiful. There was so much hope. There was so much meaning. Because at this point I realized what life was all about. It's not about living your life as a good person. Sure, you need to do that, but that's not what it's about. The primary purpose of life is to praise and worship the one true God who came to this world and died for our sins so that we could appreciate Him, so that we could worship Him fully with joy and rejoicing, as Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice always because the Lord is near. My life had meaning now because now I could go out and preach the word. I didn't have to just sit back and say, hey, everyone who does good deeds will get to heaven. No, now there was meaning. Now there was people need to know who God is, what He has done. People need to know what our position is in relation to Him. They need to know that we have to worship the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for our sins. We have to tell people that yes, God is one. However, He's one in three and three in one. Whether we can understand that or not is beyond our scope. We don't have to understand it. All we have to do is understand that Christ is, is God, that God decided to come down as a person. Muslims have an innate tendency to see that as impossible. There is no reason why that's not possible. God can choose to come to this world as a person. Show me anywhere in Quranic scripture and Ahadith where it says God cannot. To the contrary, you'll find everywhere in Islamic scripture that God can do whatever He wants. On the last day, Yawm al-Qiyamah, as it is said in the Quran, where we will all be judged, no man can find their way into heaven, even Muslims, on their own merit. It has to be by God's grace. Even the Prophet of Islam said to pray for his forgiveness many times a day because he doesn't know if he's going to enter into heaven or not. Only by God's grace will he enter into heaven. That grace that even Muslims are relying on, on that last day, to enter into heaven, is the same grace that Christians are relying on. The only difference is that Christians believe that grace has already been given. On that cross, 2,000 years ago, He provided that grace for us. The same grace, not a different one. We just have to find it in our hearts to search for that in a true, open manner, and we'll find out. I have full faith that everybody who asks God in an open heart to show them the truth will be shown the truth. I'm going to talk a little more about him, Hunty, in just yep. a minute. Yep. He's talking about the last day there. Um, he's living and has lived the most incredible life, this mm. man, Nabil. Mm, so devout. And his conversion 
is a conversion that's consistent with the conversion of a lot of Muslims to Jesus Christ. And that basically was through dreams and visions. Wow. Because you see in a lot of these Muslim countries, now he lived in the United States of America. He's an American. Yep. A Pakistani American. So it's a bit different for him. But but even in our own media ministry, we've had a lot of Muslims contact us from countries where Christianity is not easily shared and Jesus has come to them in dreams and visions. And it's not beyond Jesus to do that. And he doesn't just do it for Muslims, he'll do it for you, mm. for anyone who's searching for him. Yep. Especially if no one else, he, it, it's difficult for others to share. Jesus will come himself. You see, no borders, no barriers, nothing can stop Jesus getting to people who he chooses to come and visit. And uh, he has this amazing conversion to Jesus Christ. I'll share a little bit more about him in a minute but I just want to have a song this one's called One Day it's from the Baptist University Choir in the United States Texas I love this song we're going to start singing this song at church real soon
can't he? Well, that's, that's, that's for our next hymn sing. Yeah, that we one. should do that one. I love it. And the reason I put it in, yep, because I'm talking about Nabil. Yes, uh, and his life and his conversion from Islam to Christianity is that on, and it, it, it's not so long ago, really, September 16, thousand seventeen, when he was thirty four years of age, he died of stomach cancer. So he gave his life to Jesus. After he completed university, he decided he'd go on and he joined Ravi's ministry, which was a very famous ministry. He too has died since. He has another story. And he joined his ministry and he he started going around the United States of America. He did another two or three degrees. And he'd go around the United States of America and he'd share his testimony and he'd share Jesus Christ from the perspective of someone who was once Mm. a Muslim was now a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was always reaching out the hand of friendship and fellowship and love to his fellow Muslims. You know, Muslims are beautiful people. Of course. And uh, even in our own ministry, um, Hunty, and Jackie who answers all our emails and and texts, she knows this. We, we have an inordinate amount of people in the Islamic lands of the world mm-hmm. having a good hard look at Jesus. And yes. If you're Islamic, uh, like Nabil, I would encourage you to line up Christianity and line up Islam and do an investigation on, a fair investigation on both and come to a decision. And so he then goes, he, he graduates from college, uh, from university, he gets married, he has a child and he goes on the American circuit um, preaching the gospel and having a very deep impact and bringing hundreds of thousands, mostly young people, to Christ and not a few Muslims. But on the 30th of August 2016, and this is his story, he announced that he was in advanced stages of stomach cancer. Mm. And you wonder, don't you, about life sometimes. Mm. And when you follow God, there are no guarantees that you're going to get out of it easy. In fact, in some sense, we all die. But I love the way he approached his death because he knew he was going to die. He took to his Facebook page to inform his fans and followers of his illness. And he said to them, look, the prognosis is dismal. He wrote, and this is what he wrote, auntie, this is an announcement I never expected to make, but God in his infinite and sovereign wisdom, these are his words, yep. has chosen me for this refining. Can you believe that? Mm. He's dying, and he says, God has chosen me for this refining, and I pray he will be glorified through my body and my spirit. My family and I have received the news that I have advanced stomach cancer and clinical prognosis is quite grim. I remember when this first came out and the shock I had, because Luke had already introduced me to him by that time. Um, he said, nonetheless, we're going to pursue healing aggressively, both medical and miraculous, relying on God and the fact that he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So he, he, through, through this, he never lost his faith. Mm. And then he says this on September 8, after having undergone several months of treatment, including surgical removal of his stomach. Can you get a feeling and a sense of the incredible struggle uh, Nabil Qureshi is going through? He posted a video on social media and he said, I've been placed in hospice care. And in the same video, he encouraged those who he had influence for Jesus to be respectful in their interfaith dialogue. And this is dialogue, and this is what he said. As you consider my ministry, I hope it leaves a legacy of love, of peace, of truth, of caring for one another. That's my hope and my purpose behind this. And he died of stomach cancer on September 16, 2017, at the age of 34. Left a wife and a little girl behind. Mm-hmm. And two months later... His father, who's still a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, 
posted a video thanking Qureshi's followers for their support and prayers for the family following his death. Mm-hmm. He wrote a couple of really famous books, did you know that, Hunter? No. Yeah, and it's it's actually worth, I reckon, getting online and looking up his name. It's Nabil, and I'm going to spell this last. So it's N-A-B-E-L, Nabil yep. Qureshi. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Q-U-R-E-S-H-I. I've got Q-U-E-R-E-S-H-I. What did I say? Q- no, Mr. Nee. No, it's Q-U-R-E-S-H-I. Okay. okay. Nabil Qureshi. That's how he says it when he introduces himself. Is that how he says it? Yes, yeah, so you've done well. Oh. Hmm. I actually normally just call him Nabil. Yes. <laughs> I find that I find that a lot easier to tell you the truth. Um but he's written some books from his his journey from Islam to Christianity. Um, he's written some books about Jesus and what an impact Jesus has made on his life. And I reckon this guy is worth a read. He really is. Um, and you get those books online. Um, I want to sing this next. Oh, I don't want to. Sing a little it. clip. I've got a little two minute. Yeah, clip. yeah. That's what. That's what we're going to. Oh, <laughs> easy, son. <laughs> <laughs> Hunty's throwing me off. Well, you were just about to introduce the song, I no, thought. No, no, I wasn't. No, you tricked me. Um, I've, I've actually lost my way. Oh, I'm sorry. You're mate. talking about a, a hymn or a song that... Oh, look, it doesn't matter. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> In this next clip, he talks about Jesus and the difference between the God of Christianity and the God of Islam. He's not harsh, he's not condemning, and he's not judgmental. But what he has to say, having experienced both gods... I think is profound. Thanks, Hunty. Hey guys, it's Nabil Qureshi. I get a lot of questions about Islam and Christianity, and I'm hoping to answer a few of the most common ones today. One of the most common questions I get is whether Allah and the God of Christianity are the same. It's an interesting question because we believe as monotheists that there is only one God. And so the one God who exists, who created all people, is listening to all people when they pray. Uh, he knows who they are by name. He, he designed them. And so when people pray, no matter to whom they're praying, there is one God who is listening. But is that one God the Islamic conception or the Christian conception? Now, here's the point that I want to make. The way Islam teaches God's character, his being, is very different from that of Christianity. Of course, the Christian God is triune. The Christian God is a father, an absolutely perfectly loving father. The Christian God is willing to enter into this world and suffer alongside his creation. The Christian God is willing to forgive us of all our sins by paying the penalty himself. In all of these ways, he is very different from the Muslim God. The Muslim God is transcendent, in fact, unknowable. Chapter 5 of the Quran says that he remains behind a veil, as if it were, and it's not meet for him to enter into this world or to be made known. So the Christian God and the Muslim God have very different characteristics. They do different things, and they offer different paths Uh, The Christian God says, believe in him, follow him, and he will take our sins upon himself. The Muslim God gives us rules to follow and laws to complete in order for us to have a chance at earning his grace and mercy. These are two very different gods in the way they are taught. But thankfully, there is only one God. And so when a Muslim or a Christian cries out for God to reveal himself, God is gracious and he answers, as he answered me. Beautiful, eh, Hunty? Mm. 
I can listen to this guy on and on and on. His books, look, the one book, Hunty, I reckon that everybody should read, it became a New York Times bestseller, whatever that means. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. That's how I discovered mm. him when Liska, my Liska, my Liska's a profound reader of these sorts of books. Good and on. she gave this book to me and I read it avidly. And I could see this guy had had a genuine and a profound conversion to Jesus Christ. And it's not so much for me that he left Islam to follow Christ, it's that he found Christ. Mm. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Beautiful. I, I'm not rejoicing that one man leaves one religion for another. No. What I'm rejoicing over is that Nabil found Christ. Yep. And he found Christ, and you know the conversion is genuine because of the way that he died. He died with dignity. Mm, peace. He died with peace and he died with courage. Mm. And this song from the Redeemed Quartet, I've Come Too Far, I think it kind of reflects the journey that he went on. It wasn't a long journey with Christ in the context of this life, mm. but he journeyed well. And he would say he did go far with his Lord. And when he died of stomach cancer in that hospice, he died with his Lord beside him. And one day soon when Jesus comes, he'll wake up to live for eternity. He found Christ. This song from Redeemed Quartet, I've Come Too Far, it's the song of someone like Nabil who walks with Jesus.
song finishes uh, the life of Nabil Qureshi um, and if you get a chance as I said to you, go online look this guy up, read some of his books, have a look at his testimonies they're all mm. over Facebook, YouTube, YouTube yep. and the internet and I think you'll see a young man who really in the short time he had on this earth made a difference an amazing young man yep. have we got Harold Harker online, Harold? Yes, we have. Lloyd, good to be back back with you again. Yeah, good to have you on board, Harold. We're, we're continuing on Luther. We've been looking at his uh, life. And how are you today anyway before we start? I'm doing fine. That's good. Weather's good up that way? Yeah, excellent weather, a nice day. Yeah, it is a good day. Um, so let's get it straight into this. Uh, Luther has just had the debate at Worms. Did I say that right? Yep. What year the are Vorm. we? Worms, yeah. Not spelt W O R M S worms, but yes, worms. Worms, worms. If you're in Germany, yes. So worms. What I was saying is wrong too. It's worms. Yes. Um, worms. What year are we in? We're in fifteen twenty one. How old would Luther have been, more or less? Luther would have been about thirty eight at this stage, and he just made the greatest stand I believe that anyone had done. Right through the centuries. Uh, yeah, perhaps one of the most famous stands in Protestantism, um, no doubt about that. So who decided, after this debate, who decided that Luther needed to be withdrawn from the public? Well, he, he, 
you remember, Luther had been excommunicated. So um, after that, he had a protector in the elector of Saxony, Frederick the Wise, and he and his counsellors said, hey, this guy's been excommunicated, and while he may have a safe conduct, he needs some protection. And they decided to go and grab him on his way home or sent their emissaries to do that for them. So was it... You say he'd been excommunicated, and what that basically means, he was thrown out of the Church of Rome, out of the Catholic Church by the Pope. Is that correct? That's right, yep. So the Pope is engaged big time in this debate in Worms. He's seeing how... Well, his his representative were there, and he was right opposing this guy who was seen as a heretic. Well, his representative was Eck, the great theologian. Is that correct? That's right, yep. Would it be fair to say that Luther won that debate? Absolutely, they couldn't answer it. Yeah. And, and so his life is in danger. Um, who was it that actually decided that he needed to withdraw? It was the elector, Frederick the Wise. He was a great guy who sort of supported and protected Luther for many years. So Luther leaves Worms. Does he have a yep. protection guarantee of safety from Rome at all or not? Well, he had a safe conduct and he had 21 days to get home. But, you know, just think back to uh, John Huss. He had one of those too, but he was still yeah. grabbed. <laughs> he had he had one and he ended up at the stake. So is it fair to say those safe conducts weren't worth the paper they were written on? Well, if you were a heretic, yes, it didn't count for anything. Mm. I wonder why they wrote them. It doesn't make sense, does it, really? Maybe, uh, no, maybe just to make it look as though they're doing the right thing. Anyway, so he's he's um, on his way home and he was abducted. Was it the elector of Saxony who abducted him or his soldiers? Well, his soldiers or his emissaries that did that for him on his behalf. He had just preached in a couple of places at Hurstfeld and in Eisenach and it was just after he left Eisenach that he's whisked away. Did he know anything about this? He was oblivious to it, and he just gets grabbed by these uh, soldiers, you might call them ruffians or whoever they were, and whisked up to the castle. So he might have thought he'd been abducted by Rome. He could have. He didn't know at that stage, but they probably would have said, look, shut up and it'll all go well. (laughs) So, So he goes up to this castle. Who owned the castle? Well, actually, I checked on that, and it was Frederick, the Elector of Saxony, owned it. So he was he was abducted by Frederick and taken to Frederick's castle. Yeah, even though Frederick didn't live there, it was his one of his castles. Yes. Do we know how Luther felt about the abduction? Did he ever share that? No, I don't think too much. I think once he realised that his life was endangered. Yep. It was probably the safety. Otherwise, he would have voluntarily have left the castle, but he stayed there for up to six months or so until he could, no, a couple of years, until he could uh, be safe to go back again. So um, what did he do? So he's in Wartburg Castle. What did he actually do? Well, he decided to make the time there as profitable as he could, and he started and translated the New Testament into German and other writings as well on salvation. So he was pretty busy. He was very busy, and he actually, he made what we now say is the German language because this testament became the basis 
for the German language right across the country. The German language, full stop, not the German language yep. Bible, but the German language. Yeah. Yes. He, he must have been a fairly educated, bright sort of a fellow to do that. He sure was. Now, you say he stayed, what, was it six months or two years? Well, no, he stayed there a year. A year. He was, he was taken there, no, uh, four months, actually. He was okay. taken in December 21, 1521, yep. and he was he left in March the next year. So in four months, he translated the New Testament. What was that Wartburg Castle like? Have you been there? Yes, I have. It's up on the top of the hill with uh, walls around it. It would be impenetrable for anyone in those days. They couldn't have got him. He was safe in there. So he was safe, huh? Yes. Is it true that he had an encounter with the devil while he was there? Well, he thought he saw the devil there and he actually tossed an inkwell at him and told him to get going. Okay. Not a bad thing for us to do when the devil comes visiting us <laughs> with temptation That's either. Right. Now, in 1521, what did Rome issue against Luther and his followers and what did that mean? Well, as, uh, as he got away, they said, now he is a heretic and an outlaw, which means anyone could kill him. Is that beyond excommunication or is that a part of the... Yes. It's beyond communication. It. He was tossed out of the church. He was no longer a priest, but now he's declared to be a heretic and an outlaw. So anyone can kill him. His life is worth nothing outside. Does everybody who gets excommunicated, did everybody who got excommunicated back in those days, was that their experience or was this a special one for Luther? This was a special one for Luther. So, so he really had attracted the ire of the Vatican and Rome. Oh, sure did. He was their, their main thorn in the flesh. So Luther goes, what, straight from Wartburg Castle back to Wittenberg, his hometown, is that correct? Yes, he did, because back in Wittenberg, the Reformation was starting to get a little bit out of hand, and he wanted to say, look, let's do this decently and in order, and he, he ran home to do that. He was really a man of peace, wasn't he? He was. I mean, you get you get um, reformers like Zwingli who were were men of battle and war, but that that wasn't Luther's road. He was a no. man of education. He liked to win the argument rather than than to force it through arms. Um, That's right. What did he publish in fifteen twenty four? And and this is important. It is. He wrote, he put together a songbook for church use, and Johann Walther also helped him a bit. Luther wrote some of the songs, or we call them hymns himself, and he adapted others, listen to this, from popular tunes of the day. Yeah, yeah, which we've still done to this day, really. We have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was he a good hymn writer, in your view? Yes. In fact, we still sing some of his hymns today. Did he write the music or just the words or both? Because I don't I'm know the sure yeah, wrote, I don't know the answer to that. No, I don't know that. But he certainly put the words together that really resound what he believed, and people sang it then. And he was one he at worship, family worship. He would play his lute or guitar. Mm. Uh, with a liquid like a guitar yeah, and in yeah. singing in the church he started church hymn singing in the 16th century and that's something we still do to today in most churches that's right before then you only had a few monks that chanted but no one in the congregation would sing 
Did he, did he publish anything else, 1534? Yeah, well, he did some other books as well, and uh, he really started to write against uh, what the church was doing. That's the Catholic Church of the time, and he, he, wrote, he wrote many books and so on. And he just kept writing, and uh, he was noted as... And as soon as he wrote, of course, the printing presses would print them and send them right across Europe. Um, he was quite vitriolic, though. Although he was a man of peace, he, he could he could really give it to Rome and the Pope, couldn't he? Oh, he sure did. He wasn't diplomatic. He just let it go and said, this is what the Scripture says, and you're not doing it, and he just told it as it was. Yeah, maybe not a guy to cross, or if you're going to, you better be prepared, <laughs> prepared for a battle. When did he finally leave the priesthood? Well, he put aside his monk's uh, habit, uh, and left the monastery in 1524, just after he started singing in churches. Did he ever get married? Yeah. In fact, he got married the next year. He was actually proposed to by a former nun, uh, Katharina von Bora. And when she got out, she said, I want to marry Martin Luther. <laughs> Some would say, looking at his life, that she actually made it for him. You don't think that's a good comment? Yes, well, she certainly was a great help to him, and their love blossomed. It wasn't there at the beginning, mm. but it blossomed right through their 20 years of marriage. Yeah, they did have a wonderful life. They had kids too. Yeah, they had six of them, three sons and three daughters. He lost one of those daughters, and it had a profound impact on him. Oh, yes. That was uh, his daughter that was called Magdalena. Yeah. She was 14. And she died, and that really affected him badly. Actually, he talked about the resurrection to her as she was dying, didn't he? Oh, yes. Let me tell you what he said. He said, Magdalena, darling daughter, is it not true that you would like to stay here with your father, and yet you want to go to your father above? Yeah. And she said, yes, dear father. And as she died, Luther said, dear Lenchen, you shall rise again and shine as a star as the sun. So he believed in the resurrection. He did. He did. Well, that's because he read the Bible, of course. So he got right. married. And we have looked at this once before, but I, I want you just to recount it real quick because it's, it's a funny little antidote of Martin Luther's <laughs> life. Yeah. What happens on his wedding night? So he gets married to this girl. We're going back a little bit just for a moment. But what actually happened? Well, it was June 13, 1525, and here he is on his wedding night, and he gets a knock on the door, yep. and a, a guy that he knew who was a radical reformer, Andrew Karlstadt, he was running away because the peasants' war was being knocked off by all the, the gentry of the time, and he needed shelter, and he said, look, I want a place to stay, and on his wedding night, Luther said, come and stay. Yeah, yeah, he had a generous heart. They weren't really getting on that well at, the, at that time either, were they? No, but he thought he needs help and I'll help him. Yeah, he did, he did. Uh, when did Luther die? Well, he died back in Eisleben. It was the year in 1546. He would have been about, uh, what was that, 60, 63 or something? When he Something died, like which was a reasonably old man back then, too. It was, yes. Um, when he died, what did he say? Well, when he was dying, this is what he prayed in his last words. I thank you, God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have revealed your Son to me, on whom I have believed, whom I have loved, whom I have preached and confessed and worshipped, whom the Pope and all the ungodly abuse and slander. Oh, Lord Jesus, I commend my soul to you. Beautiful prayer and and, and great confidence. Right to the end, he's relying on Jesus to save him. Amen. Do we know what he died from? Well, he had chest pain, so it was probably a heart attack. I was thinking the same thing. And as you look at Martin Luther's life, a a, a grand life of 61, 62 years where so much was achieved, um, what do you think his legacy is? Well, his legacy, obviously, he puts forward the thought that the Scripture is the ultimate answer to everything. It's the Word of God. Sola Scriptura was one of the great things he preached and how that you are saved by faith in Jesus, righteousness by faith. He brought that out. No indulgences, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. It is a fantastic message and perhaps uh, some would say the great message for these end times, righteousness by faith that you're saved by, you're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. It's still true today. It is. Look, thank you, Harold. I wonder if in the next few weeks we could look at Zwingli, the warrior, Protestant okay. reformer. We'll have a look at Zwingli. He, he, yeah, I think he comes from uh, my home, Switzerland, or yes, the home of my grandfather's anyway. Uh, okay. and, and he's a kind of, he's a different man than Martin Luther, and I think we'll enjoy having a look at his life. Look, thanks for joining us again, Harold. Fantastic. Um, Great to be with you. All the best and God bless. See you soon. Thanks, mate. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song, It Is No Secret, Hunty, mm-hmm. is sung by Jimmy Swaggart, who's still alive. Yep. Really, really old man. Yep. Uh, Protestant, Pentecostal, there's a lot of stuff he preaches and teaches that I don't really go along with, but he has a beautiful voice. And he does love Jesus. And his cousin, did you know this? No. Jerry Lee Lewis. I did not know that. Jerry, Lewis, Jerry Lee Lewis, great balls of fire. I love his piano playing. It is the best. He, he, there is stories that he found Christ toward the end of his life. And I think this nice. may be evidence of it because he is here with his, he's a great rock and roller. Oh, yeah. He lived deep into to life. He didn't die so long ago. Yep. And this is Jimmy Swaggart, who does sing beautiful music. And Jerry Lee Lewis, very very famous, two cousins, and they're singing, uh, and I like this song, It Is No Secret, beautiful, beautiful song. The chimes of times bring out the news another day is through. Someone slipped and fell, was that someone
there is no night For in his life you'll never walk alone Always feel at home Wherever you may roam There is no fire Can't conquer you While God is on your side Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis would know it is no secret what God can do. That's right. Because God brought him from a long way out. He actually died just a few days ago. Huh. October 28, 2022. He had a fairly sordid life. Married his 13-year-old cousin, which pretty much sent his music career off the rails. He's the one who sang Great Balls of Fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a real rock and roller. Yep, rock you were saying you know a fair bit about him that he well he, he, he often have scandally clad women across yeah. his stage and and his music it talks to that too. It's sexual in in nature and, and it's talking about his lusts and his uh, you know carnal desires and things like. From that you get a sense that the man was quite not a not a yeah. I'll just stop well, before I get dig any deeper. Here, here, <laughs> here he is at the end of his life, having come home. And it's just proof, isn't it, Hunty, that you can come yeah, home. God will bring you home every you know, time. You know, whatever you've done, yep. wherever you've been, no matter how you've done it. No Nothing you can do. How far you've fallen, you can come home to Jesus. And I want that message to resound through to your heart yep. today. If you're know listening it. to this program and you love, uh, and you'd love to come back to Jesus, but you feel like your sins and your guilt have driven you too far away and that he won't accept you and that the church won't accept you and that you just can't come back you know banish satan and those thoughts he's given to you out of your mind and just come home to jesus it's, it's as simple as a prayer and you know when it comes to the church whether the church accepts you or not when you come home and it should but if it say it didn't so be it jesus has absolutely and that's all that matters that jesus will welcome you home and i tell you i've often said this hunting when we get to heaven there's going to be a lot of people up there that we never thought should be there, have gone through this experience. There's going to be a lot of us who people think should be there aren't. Yeah, the old, so, the old joke is we're going to say people there we never thought should be in heaven, but they'll be staring right back at us and saying, how did he make it? <laughs> yeah, well, um, the, the reality is that if you come home and you accept Jesus as your saviour, no matter where you've been, he'll welcome you. And of course. I, Jerry Lee Lewis, a life of riotous pleasure... He's evidence of that. And God found him. And he, he sang that beautiful song. Mm. 
It is no secret. Okay, Hunter. Time for Ask the Aussie Pastor. Okay. Before we start, let me give one more plug. If you'd like to send in your questions, it is not too late. You can send them to us two ways, one of two ways. You can text them to us on 0488-880-851 or you can email us to our new email address, theaussiepastor at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it. Uh, first question. This must have come in while we were away last week. Good evening, Pastor Lloyd and Hunty. Thank you so much for answering the questions tonight. I have asked a question, but not sure if I missed the answer. This is really worrying me. Many pastors and SDA Christians say, if you do not repent of all of your sins, you will not go to heaven. I have a problem, and I I cannot remember all the sins I have committed. And this is really serious, kind regards. No, I can't remember mine either, mate. (laughs) It's Dawn, actually. It's a lady. Yeah, okay. I can't remember mine either. I'm thinking as I look at this question, this probably hasn't come through the radio, but probably the television. Oh, the surviving chaos ministry. I reckon it is. Okay. I'm going to have to answer this twice. The reason I say this, good evening, Pastor Lloyd and Hunty. Thank you so much for answering the questions tonight. Mm. This is a TV question. Probably was a TV question. It's all right. I'll answer it anyway. Good question, though. But I think you better check where that come from, because we might have to come back and answer that on the TV, brother. I think we should. Um, Look... When I say, dear Lord, I come before you and and I give you my heart and I give you my life and I confess my sins. Look, it's good if you can remember them to go through them with the Lord, but basically I confess my sin. I just don't confess one sin, Lord Jesus. I confess them all and I ask you to cover all my sins with your blood. I accept your sacrifice on the cross for all my sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're covered. Yep. You're covered. And so I want our listener, who is it? What's her name? Dawn. Dawn. Probably mm. going to have to say this again on our TV show. We will. But I, I, I want you to be assured that if you ask the Lord to forgive you all your sins, he will forgive you all your sins. And it's as simple as that. Mm. Even the ones you can't remember because you asked him to forgive them. He doesn't say you're saved on whether you can remember all your sins or not. That's right. Sometimes it's positive too. Sometimes it's actually positive not to. But sometimes we sin without even knowing it. Um, yeah, but... You know, you know what the sins are. Go through them, especially if you've still got problems with them, and talk to him about it. But yep. just confess, just, just Lord, I confess all my sins. Done. Yep. Even if I don't name them one by one, done. Yep. I confess all my sins, Jesus. Okay, done. We'll accept that. All right, moving on. Hi guys, and this is definitely a radio question. Hi guys, just listened to yesterday's Aussie pastor. I'm normally at work when you're live. Wow, thank you for the Revelation Bible study. I'm up to Revelation 7, following your series on YouTube from a few weeks back. Oh, it's not a question, so thank you. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take that. Actually, we were talking about thank that, you, Rachel. Re- that Revelation series earlier. We were. Was that on radio or was it just you and me talking? That was on radio. We, we, we haven't finished one yet. So I would say in the new year, Hunty, that's something. Hey, just so our listeners know, are we putting a new studio together? Absolutely. So God blessed you? Yes. We, we got, got the insurance came through for us in the end and we've placed an order. questionable. And we've got some money coming and we'll have a studio up and running hopefully by the end of the year. Is everything covered or are we still short? Or? We're still a bit short, but we've got enough for the basics and we'll get back up and running. Okay, praise yeah, God. Praise God. Okay. All right, next question. Hi, Lloyd. What's your understanding of this passage? Thanks. 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them deep into hell, and placing them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, 
but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness among the eight. So what's your understanding of all that? So that's Second Peter, what was Second it? Second Peter 2, 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Let me get that in a modern version. There's a couple of parts to this question. I guess there's a, the part about them being cast into hell. What hell is that? Especially as, especially as we've just covered hell. And... Okay, for God did not spare even his angels who sinned. So this is this is a story of the angels in heaven, Hunty. Yes, the, who, is that who, the third? Yeah, the third of the yep. angels in heaven, Revelation 12, and you go into Revelation 19 and 20, you're going to pick it up, where a third of the angels before the earth was created sinned, and the Bible says they were cast deep into hell, placing them in the chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So they're placed out of heaven. Yep. What is hell? Hell well, Separation he- from God. Yeah. Yes, hell de- pretty much a separation from God. Mm. Um, and so they were separated from God and they were thrown out of his presence, which was a very uh, painful experience. So he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood. That's true. God. A lot of people have problems with that scripture, mm. that God the sovereign b- brought the flood. And they'll say, and I'm not sure where this is where this question's. Who's this question coming from? This question has come from Arts Unknown. Okay, mm. I, um, I, I'm not sure whether this question's there because they're questioning was that fair that God brought that that He cast the angels out, or whether is it fair that He brought a flood that killed men, women, and children, babies? A very challenging, but the reality is God is the sovereign of the earth, and He does bring punishment, and it sometimes does impact all, and it's uncomfortable. Well, I find it uncomfortable anyway. Me too. However, um, in my experience with God, I've learned to trust his sovereignty, even in mm. the areas I don't understand. Mm. I don't understand fully the flood and how that was affected by God and exactly why. I know they're wicked, they're evil, and God passed the point of no return. Yep. But it is a difficult passage of Scripture to come to. So um, I, I would say... When you come across things in Scripture that you don't understand about the sovereignty or the rulership of God, what I have learned to do is just trust Him. And the reason I trust Him, it's not an airy-fairy thing, hunty, is because in my Bible study and my prayer, I've met a loving and a merciful, never-ending mercy, it seems, hunty, and a forgiving God who will do everything he can to save me to the point that he will send his son, Jesus Christ, God himself, got down off his throne and came down and became a human and took our sins and went to the cross. Mm. So he does everything he can to save us. It seems that as the sovereign of the world, though, that there comes a point, as it did with the flood, and it will at the end of time, where God says, no more, this cannot continue. And he brings a stop to it. When he brings a stop to it, as the sovereign... um, it does cause loss of life, millions, billions. Mm-hmm. And people are uncomfortable with that. I think they should be uncomfortable with that somewhat. But I think it's really healthy to take that discomfort and those questions to Jesus Christ and you begin to answer them. I haven't got all the answers even in my own life for that, hunty. Mm-hmm. But I have experienced God and I know what he's like with me. And God is good. And so that's what helps me to hold on with these questions that I don't fully understand or can answer, but I accept the sovereignty of God anyway. Does that make sense? It does. I, I love your explanation of God's sovereignty too and the, who's the creator and the owner of life. Like that's yeah. always 
how it's, not the total, it's not the total answer, though, is it? And what Hunty's talking about is I say, well, God God gives life, which is true. And owns life. He owns life. It comes from him. It's, mm. Our hearts beat, our blood flows, we breathe because of God and none other. And because he gives it to us, just as I give, if I was to give you uh, a loan of a car, he loans life to us, he can take it back. Mm. He mm. can. There's no doubt about that. But there's still a, a little bit of discomfort for us on this earth as we try to understand the flood. We don't know how many died in the flood. Um, and we try to understand the end of time. We're, we're millions, billions, aren't we? Mm. We're about to click over 8 billion wow. people. Someone said to me the other day, remember that question? Uh, I was on TV, I think, and they said, do you think, um, do you think many will be saved when Jesus comes? Mm. You remember mm. my answer? Your answer, yeah, sadly. No. Not a lot. Yep. Not a lot. But people argue with me on that, and that's fine. I hope I'm wrong on that one. Mm. But it is difficult sometimes looking through dark glasses because we don't see everything clearly to understand the sovereignty of God. And I think that's enough for today. Yes, that's it. We're out of time. Let's move to our next song. This is this was the um, theme of our hymn sing on Saturday night. Mm. And it was sung by um, May and Trevine yep. and Shamila and it was backed by Sam. Sam. Yep. And this was our... This was our um, theme song. Theme I song. thought I would yep. play it to end today's program. Some men tried so hard to prove that God's not really Fail 
program today interesting stories mm. it's interesting to hear from Nabil uh, thanks for joining us Hunty yes it's not too late because even though we're going off air now you can still get questions yes in. I noticed our friend David from Western Australia sent us a few questions yes. be patient my friend we'll get to you next week there's a yeah. eight, There's at least eight questions that we never got to today <laughs> including right. or nine in, including yours my friend yes. so be patient with us but if you want to get some questions in Hunty one yes. more time please SMS or text us on 04 Double eight double eight zero eight five one, or our new email address, theaussiepasta at gmail.com. And um, this Sabbath, Hunty? Yes. At New Hope. Come, you're preaching. I am preaching. Mm. Actually, we'll both be there. Always. I'm going to preach on Jesus this week. Nice. I am going to preach about Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, let me give a plug for where we are. We're in Quakers Hill, northwest of Sydney, behind the Aldi for Samuel Place in the Life Anglican Church. 10 o'clock Saturdays. Worship starts at 10 o'clock. And yeah. it's always better to be there than to be watching it online. That's right. I've always said that. Yes. So come to New Hope. If you're there, make sure you introduce yourself to Hunter. You yep. won't miss him. You're on the sound desk this week. I have no idea, but I'll be there. Okay. Man in black. <laughs> and introduce yourself to me. We'll be happy to see you. We will. And we've got a fellowship lunch, so stay for lunch. Nice. Um, I want to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the answer. You're the answer to our souls. You're the answer to our questions. You're the answer to our longings. You're the answer to our forgiveness. You're the answer to our future. I just want to pray that as we close this program, that those listening will have seen a glimpse of you today and be drawn strangely to you and want to know you more even to invite you in as Lord and Saviour. Bless us all now, Jesus, as we go into the rest of the week. All honour and glory and worship to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My name's Lloyd Grolleman and I'm the Aussie pastor. And my name's Hunty, man in black. And we love you. But God, God, he loves you. loves you so so much much more. more. See you next time. See ya. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 